Long Talk Radio.
God, we're grateful. Because if it had not been for you, we would not be here. We opened our eyes this morning, God, because you gave us the strength to open our eyes. We were able to rise because you gave us strength and our limbs and the facilities of our body. We were able to get here, God, because you blessed us and brought us the way of safety and did not allow harm to come to us, Lord. We're grateful to again come into your presence because we know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And as we come before you today, have your way, Lord. Let flesh be crucified that you might be glorified, that your people might be edified in the name of Jesus. For God in you is life. And that's what we seek, God, life, eternal life, God. We pray, oh God, today that you will touch every person that have come seeking you, Lord. Bind the hand of the devil, God. Rebuke the hand of the enemy, Lord. God, let your anointing that resonates in this place even now. God, let there be an outpouring on your people. We need you, God, to take us to another level in you, Lord. God, we're faced with demonic forces, God. Evil spirits have come up against us, Lord, and we need to be fortified with your power. God, we can't make it on our own strength, God. We don't have enough to stand on, Lord, but we know, God, that your joy is our strength. Fill us up on today in the name of Jesus. Somebody have come this morning burdened down, God, with the issues of life, God. Somebody, God, is in the battle of their life. Somebody's, God, fighting in their mind and in their spirit, Lord, where the devil have come in to war against them, Lord. But we thank you, God, because we know greater are you that's within us than he that is within this world, God. We know, God, that you are a deliverer, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're no short of your promise, Lord, and you're able to deliver us, Lord. Touch us on today, Lord. We need you like never before. Fill us up with the Holy Ghost, God, and give us a refilling, Lord, that when we leave here today, Lord, we can leave with your anointing, Lord, that as we meet men and women, boys and girls, they might be converted to know who you are, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you because you are a healer. You're the God that healeth thee, and healing is in your wings, and you're able to touch our feeble bodies. You're able to save our troubled souls, and in the name of Jesus, bind every demon, Lord, every demonic force, Lord. God, that comes to keep us in the same place, Lord. We're willing, God, to surrender and say yes to your will, Lord. We're willing to turn our lives, God, over into your hands, Lord, because we come to the place, God, where we realize like never before, we need you, Jesus. More than anything we know, we need you, Jesus. 
while men are trying to find God, solutions to this chaotic world, God. We're looking to you, Lord, because we know for every right desire, there is an answer. And Jesus, you're that answer. There's no need for us, God, to turn hither or thither, Lord. We need but to look for you, Lord, because you're the answer, God, for our troubled lives, Lord. Touch on the day, God. Break every yoke, oh God. Save on the day, God. Deliver on the day, God. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We're crying out to you, Lord. We know that you're able to save our souls. We know that you're able, God, to heal our bodies, Jesus. We know that you're able, God, to turn our situations around. Jesus, no other help we know. No other help we know. No other help we know, God. You're able, Jesus, to deliver our children. You're able, Jesus, to save the unsaved husband. You're able, Jesus, to heal the cancer patient. Nothing too hard for you, Jesus. No other God we know. We know that you're able, Jesus. We know that you're able, Jesus. We say yes to your will, God. Yes to your way, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. And we'll thank you for it. And we'll give your name the praise. And we'll bless you, Lord. Yes, we thank you, Lord. And we bless your holy name. Come on, open your mouth and give the Lord some praise. In Ethiopia, so we have, like, my, my family, uh, we have six brothers and two sisters. And uh, my dad is imam, so we have a big family. And um, one day we were surprised, you know, we walked to school from home to school. It was like probably half an hour. And then they surprised us. The military, they came with the, with the, with the van, just shot in the air. And all kids running around and probably scared. I was just standing in the freeze. And some a friend of mine, kids ran away, and, and, and the military just shot him. And just, I see so many blood, and I see crying, and I just, I just froze. And then they put him in the, uh, in the van, and then they drove by. Wow. Yeah. And for how many years were you captured as a child soldier? Yeah, I was uh, two years in the military. We were in the front. It's like there is no break. It just uh, it, training, and probably like three months of training, to how to shoot, how to survive. And we put us in the, in the front. And this is during the height of the Ethiopian Civil War. This statement just gripped me in your book. It says, you know, you were told, if you don't shoot your gun at the enemy, we will kill you. Yep. So every single day as a 12-year-old, you are fearful of your own life, yep. that they will turn the gun on you. Yeah, it was behind us. We have to, we're in the front, so we have to shoot if we don't. Yeah. And then they're going to shoot us. So we have to just survive to... To, but, you know, just like we go in a day, a day without having prepared meals, without changing your socks, and we're walking in miles, miles. You were able to flee with a friend after, as you said, two years. We went to Djibouti, mm-hmm. and they have a, a business people, they walk from Bourain and to Djibouti, and, and we ask them, come, come, you know, can we go with them, and then we trade our gun to to go with them to Djibouti, and we stayed in Djibouti, and we saw away. The first saw away was five young boys, and then and the captain he go from Djibouti to um, Israel, mm-hmm. and then Israel they didn't take us any refugees, so they go next to destination. He go to Japan, mm-hmm. and captain just throw us in the water, 
was five of us and two of us who survived. And then the second store away, and then we, I, I came back to Canada, Montreal. Right. Yeah. And so tell me about struggling with alcohol and trying to drown all of those memories that you had. As in Montreal, I meet a woman, we get married, and then I have a daughter. Her name is Bethlehem. So I was drinking a lot, but I didn't see that much because I can't sleep. It's only I can uh, sleep by drinking and using drugs. Mm -hmm. It's only that's for my medicine. Because if I don't drink, I go back to the war. I go back to this nightmare. So for me, I, I found uh, to hide my past by out drinking a lot. Hide your pain as yeah. well. You eventually moved to the States where you joined a gang. Yeah. Tell me about I, le I left uh, Montreal when my daughter, she is three years old. I was, I can't be a good father, I can't be a good husband because drinking too much and we have a restaurant even. I just left her notice like, you know what, I, I can't do this. I can't do that to you guys because mm. for my daughter safe and, uh, and to her. So I left a note and I, I moved back to Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. I stayed at 10 years in Portland, Oregon. What I know, just in the street, and next day I know, become gang members, meet all different people, and just that. And then we got a lot of cocaine and drugs and gun, and just 10 years and just uh, being living in Portland, Oregon is a nightmare. In and out of jail, and so many things. I got shot twice, and it just. You also lost friends as I well. I lost a lot of friends. I have two of the best friends in, in Portland, Oregon, and the overdose. We're just sitting and just drinking and using drugs and die overdose. I lost two friends. So. You say that your, your drug of choice became cocaine. Yeah. And one day, I think you, what you would say was your bottom, you hit bottom, you were in a trailer mm -hmm. infested with, with rats. Yep. Tell us this story. So I... I, I want to escape from gang members, so I had, my passport is expired. So I have to wait for my passport, and my cousin, a friend is a friend, has a trailer, so that I have to sleep in that trailer for a while. And in that trailer, there was a lot of fright, and nighttime I go out in some hustling, bring in some drug, and just, it just until I get that passport to come back. Mm -hmm. And then after I got my Canadian passport, and then uh, and take a bus and came back to uh, Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So you're in this trailer, mice are crawling all yeah. over you, yeah. you're strung out on drugs, and finally you get your passport to come back to Canada, and you land in the downtown east side of Vancouver, yeah. which is not the <laughs> best place for a crack addict <laughs> to land. No, I was surprised when I get there. It's like everybody smoke outside. In yeah. Portland, Oregon, we don't do that. We're just hiding. In. And then uh, and Portland, Oregon, I mean, Vancouver, I don't have anybody. I don't know anyone. I just get at Graham, and, and they have a man in, in terminal. They have a, under the bridge. Mm -hmm. I start sleeping under the bridge for a while. It's almost a year I sleep in there. Under, uh, under the bridge for yeah. almost a year you're sleeping under the bridge. Yeah. And, and so then you find this program at Union Gospel Mission. Yeah. And as you said, you had been raised a Muslim. Your, your father was an imam. Mm -hmm. But something that they said about Jesus really tugged at your heart. Yeah. What was it about that that changed your life? So, and... One guy, he told me about Union Gospel Mission because they were hungry. It's just like uh, winter time. It's like, hey, let's go to uh, Union Gospel Mission. They have nice hot meal and food is good. It's like, okay, I walk there. And then the people was nice. And before we go to eat, we have like uh, 20 minutes to have a preaching. The pastor is coming and preaching and pray for the food. And then I was like, okay. This, after even I finished eating, is a lot of Irish workers come to me. It's like, hey, if you have any 
uh, drug and alcohol, if they have any problem, we have a program here. So I hear that a lot, but I didn't sink in. I didn't think about that, but I heard a lot of about Jesus. And, and, and finally, one day, I was in an SRO hotel and with this woman. We were a party for three days, and, and she went to go back to the bathroom, and then she didn't come back. It was like an hour. So when I go, I hear there's a lot of people in the hotel. When I go out, she's overdosed. She can't make it in my door. And then I just run. I run to UGM. That's why I know because I've been eating. I go, and then I say, I'm not going to bridge anymore. I'm going to stay in UGM in the shelter. Mm -hmm. So I stay for a while. And Christmas Day was I was crying to God. I said, like, God, I hear enough. I need, I need Jesus. I need in my life. Mm -hmm. And so you find Jesus, and but then another addiction starts to pop up. And that's an addiction to pornography. Yeah, I finished the program, uh, the four months of program. And when I was in the UGM, I didn't deal with, with the pornographer. So I just did it for drug and alcohol. And my counselor is very nice. He just take me to childhood and just pray a lot of. And if, when I was in the UGM, there's a lot of support and praying and, and talking. Mm. And finally, when I moved back from UGM, I have my own small room, and that's why I start from programmers. I, I have my own room, nobody see me, mm. and then I have my computer, it's just like it's starting. And I know I, I have one year clean sober, but I have to go to church and uh, baptize and everything, but that addiction is just struck me there. Yeah. Struck me there. It's like, I, I, I just, I was, I have a lot of shame when I go to church the next day because I step all night and to wash that dirty in and feel like, I feel like it's so shame. Mm. And then finally, I, I was crying to God in my room. Mm. And I said, God, I need help. I know I didn't give you this, this addiction. Mm -hmm. You delivered me from drug and alcohol, but I didn't, I hold on because I love this. Mm. So I was crying to God and fall asleep. And I wake up three o'clock in the morning, my computer is still there. And then I was look outside and it was second, Second floor, I live. I pick up the old computer and just throw them in the, throw the window. In the window. Wow. I have nobody there is there, and, you know. And just finally, I go clean up the the area, clean up my house. It's no more. And then I would start talking to people in the programs. Like this is like all a man. We have we like to hiding in this addiction. Yeah. You don't need to be hiding. By opening myself, is a lot of people they come to me and asking me a question. Mm -hmm. Thank you for. People help a lot by my testimony. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the enemy wants us to keep that shame inside. But you learned that by letting it out, by telling your counselor, by telling your pastor, yeah. you were set free. Yeah. Now, you, you, you're a pastor, you are married, you have a beautiful little boy named yeah. Adam. Tell us about life now for you, Jamal. Um, life is because when I was going to Broadway Church, I met my wife in Bible study. And, and uh, yeah, it just been... Um, my life is, is very, uh, with, with God is, is so amazing. Mm. I can't explain. Um, it is sometimes I don't sleep and I'm struggling, but I have that hope. You know, God is only, I wake up in the morning, the first in the morning, go on my knees and say, thank you, God. Mm. You know, God, yes, I lost everything, even my daughter. I didn't see her for 17 years. And, and, and that's that's all the shame and behind and God he just gave me free and he gave me a new life he's given me the second chance to be married and then have a Adam now I, I used to be a lot of like in my past and beating myself and now God he delivered me he set me free I'm a new creation mm. so I have a new person so I want to be better for my 
for my son. So from a child soldier to a drug dealer to a gang member to, you know, addictions to sex and pornography to now a pastor and living free in Jesus, what would you say to somebody watching that might be going through a really hard time and feels like there is no hope? You see, is, uh, f- for me, by telling my story, I want to give people for hope because yeah. it is the way out. It's only Jesus. Yeah. You know, for me, it's the first one at Christmas time. I was crying to God for my life. I said, God, I need you. You know, I was carrying that heavy load and, and back in so many years. And finally, Jesus, he set me free. Mm-hmm. I was living in the darkness. Yes, it is hard and addiction without God, without Jesus. But with Jesus, it's not going to be hard. Mm-hmm. It's going to be easy. It's going to be like wonderful. We have a hope in Jesus and walking beside me. Yes, sometimes I have, I have a hard time to sleep, but I'm not focusing that. I'm focusing ahead. I know where I'm going.
that are really not theirs to give and are really not yours at all either. In the New Age, I felt powerful, and the girl who had been assaulted found comfort in knowing that I created my own reality, and I got to decide what comes next, and I got to be the the writer of all of this. I found so much comfort in that moment because I had lost so much of my control. I felt like everything had been taken from me, but in the New Age, I felt like I got it back. Growing up, I grew up in the Catholic Church, so I was pretty faithful. My family was there every Sunday. We never missed uh, a Mass. And I was in catechism, so like Sunday school, and I was able to learn about all of like the sacraments and what God desires of his people and kind of just like Bible. And I just remember I loved reading the Bible. I used to carry my children's Bible everywhere with me. I would read it in the car. Even though I would get really car sick when I would read, I would still read it in the car. And 
I remember listening to worship music and just loving, praising God. I just remember God being such a joyful little piece in my life and just being like continuously trying to seek him and like in his presence. And I remember being like a really little kid and in the Catholic church, there's like Lent and there's fasting and little kids aren't really supposed to fast. But I would like bug my mom all the time. I'm like, can I do it? Can I do it? Like, let me fast. And I would give up like meat for 40 days or like TV. And I'm like in fifth grade, you know, and I was always just giving stuff up because I just, I, I wanted to do something that would make me and God like closer. And I just didn't know what it would take, but I was willing to do all of it. Wow. Now you have a really powerful testimony and I'm so excited to get to it. Um, I think the best place to start is with your life before Jesus. And obviously even with right now you share, right? Like there was a tug that was happening early on, but obviously something kind of took you away. So if you could just start us off with what happened in your life before Jesus. So before Jesus, I remember being around six or seven and there was a friend of mine. Uh, She was about my age, a year older than me. And she would come over from time to time. And I remember that eventually I ended up being sexually abused by her. And this abuse kind of didn't look like abuse. So I didn't have the words for it at the time because she introduced it to me like a game. So this game just, you know, progressed to be something very sexual, very inappropriate. And I eventually took the game and began to share it with other kids, um, not really knowing that it was wrong. But something in me really, after those encounters, just made me feel dirty and ashamed and broken. And eventually I kind of like erased the part of my mind that realized that it had happened to me first. And I just kind of assumed that I went out of my way like in my own like wickedness in my own head to go do it to other kids. I began to look at myself like a monster and like I was just, you know, really just dirty in my head. And that's how I felt all the time. I just felt so unclean and just so dirty. So I began to kind of like push people away. And even as a young kid, I was very um, angry. I was very angry and I was very distrustful. And for a long time, I never admitted what had happened to me. So I didn't have a pinpoint for those emotions. I was just the mad kid, you know, and as I got older, the effects of the abuse didn't go away, even though the memories had. So I started to become very like hypersexual. And I started to experiment with other kids in my classroom, primarily like females. I found around when I was like eight or nine that I was more inclined to be attracted to females. And it was just this overwhelming feeling that I would go home, I'd have dreams about girls, like they would be very sexual in nature. I would talk with these girls, I would go to like sleep and we would touch. It was things like that. This feeling made me feel just even worse. I remember just feeling dirty all the time. And at the time, like I knew what gay people were. Like my mom had kind of talked to me about it. Like God loves gay people, but he doesn't like the sin. And that didn't comfort me at all. In fact, I just felt worse. Like God doesn't like me. That's what I heard when I was a child. And I couldn't understand why I was attracted to women, but I just knew like this thought like is going to tear me away from God. So I kind of like buried it deep in me again, and I didn't really admit to any of that. So growing up, I was very sad. I was very depressed. And my parents actually ended up putting me in therapy just because of how angry and volatile I was as a kid. And they just didn't really understand why I was the way I was. Around that time, I began to get like diagnosed with things like OCD and depression just because I felt dirty all the time. So because of the abuse that had happened, I was obsessed with being clean. 
So I began to do things that would try to sate that cleanliness. And I was always washing my hands. I was overly like showering. Like it was just, I was just trying to feel clean because something in me just felt so dirty and it showed like I was tormented every day and my parents were really, really concerned. So they uh, had put me in therapy. As I got older, nobody really knew like what to do with me. They were just like, she's a difficult child. That's just what she deals with. Those are her quirks. My mom used to tell me is like, I felt God still in the picture, but I think there were certain things that began to remove how much I trusted him. And the abuse like weared away a little bit at that trust. And then when I'm like in middle school, I'm coming out as gay at this point as bisexual. So then I'm like, "Mm, well, God doesn't like me anyways. Like I'm gay. You know, there's nothing else I could do to be in his good graces. So then it was like something else in me felt like God was already turning his face. By the time I got to high school, my sophomore year of high school, I was 15. There was a bully that I had who ended up beating me up like in a classroom and this bullying didn't stop like it just increased and it would follow me outside of school into my workplace. It followed me every hallway I'd walk down, like there was people making comments, looking at me types of way, other people threatening me. And it was just this torment that made me want to shrink within myself. And it made me just want to like disappear and just not be seen ever. I just felt like, how was I ever going to get through this if nobody was there for me? And in that time, I felt abandoned. I felt abandoned by like my parents. I felt abandoned by like the teachers. They never did anything. They didn't stand up for me. The administration didn't seem to care that I was being bullied. Like nobody stood up for me. And at that point, I began to question God because where are you? I'm over here. I'm hurting. It's not even just like emotional hurt at this point. I'm physically being hurt by others. Why are you not here? And I had been taught about this God who loves us, but this God didn't seem to be someone who loved if he was okay with what I was going through. And around this time, because I felt so abandoned, I was looking for comfort. And in searching for comfort, I began to experiment with drugs. And I remember this was the time that I began to drink and smoke. And at this point, I had already started diving into like pills like Xanax and Percocets and I'm in high school and I was just miserable. I just wanted comfort. I was reaching for anything and I looked for comfort in everything that offered itself like some sort of escape. That also included boys. So then I had a relationship that came into my life and at the time it felt like everybody hated me. It felt like nobody would ever want to be with me. I already felt dirty. I felt worthless. And then all of this bullying happening, I felt like nobody was ever going to be able to love me. And then this dude comes in the picture. He just kind of becomes my world and he becomes that safe space and he becomes the thing I'm searching for. And suddenly, you know, kids won't pick on me as much when he's around and I'm just safe. I felt really, really safe there. So that's where I stuck around. And as that relationship started, we started dating when I was 15. We were like about a year in and I found out that he had been cheating on me and that he had been unfaithful. And I stayed with him because, again, this thought that was just consistently in the back of my mind was that I was not good enough and that if I left him, I was never going to find anybody that was going to love me. So I just stayed around and I was like, you know what, I'm convinced like if I can just stick around, I can stick through this. And he ended up being somebody that I lost my virginity to. So at that point, like in my mind, I'm like, this is the person. This is my, like, he's my future husband. Like I was taught growing up that you're not supposed to have sex with people outside of marriage. So doing that with him kept me bound to somebody who was not God's will for me. 
moving forward, like with him, we dated all through high school. So it was the senior year of high school. By the end, the relationship shifted. It became very, very aggressive. This was the time that he began to kind of control me a lot more. He got to decide what I would wear, who I would hang out with where I could go or if I was allowed to go at all. And kind of breaking one of those rules could get me in a lot of trouble. Then he began to actually physically hit me. And there ended up being one experience that was the worst one. It had been like years at this point of like just the arguing, the cheating, the, you know, the fighting. And it was a fight that ended up so bad. We were on the side of the road. And I remember he had grabbed me and he had like pulled me to the floor. And I remember he began to choke me and we're on the side of the road, but it's like an incline. So the guardrails are up at the top and we were at the bottom of the hill and at the bottom of the hill, there was a river, but you wouldn't know unless you were down there. And I remember as he choked me, I looked up at the guardrails and I was thinking, this is the last thing I'm ever going to see. I remember thinking he's going to kill me down here and nobody's ever going to find my body. And I remember just that was the first time I had ever been so close to death. And I was just like, I don't know what to do now. And eventually he let me go and somebody ended up calling the police and stuff. And eventually I, I made my way home. But that night, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't think I could just go home and pretend anymore. To that point, nobody knew about the abuse. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know the extent of that relationship. So I didn't know how I was supposed to go into work the next morning and just smile at everybody. I didn't know how I was supposed to, you know, eat breakfast with my family and just be okay because I wasn't okay. That night I decided, you know what, I'm going to just end it because I'm just done. And so I went to like a secluded place. I had like a lot of different options and ideas, but I ended up overdosing or trying to at least. And when I ended up in the hospital, it was the same feelings of shame and just disappointment. Just like, why can't I do anything right? It was just this letdown of I'm just always in the wrong. And because of my attempt, the hospital can't just let you go. They have to admit you. So I was admitted to a psychiatric hospital and you have to stay there minimum for 72 hours before they can let you go just to make sure that you're safe. While I was in the hospital, I ended up spending two weeks there. And in the hospital, a part of like the healing mechanisms that they have there, they have a lot of tools like dance and art. Um, one of the things they had there was yoga. So in the lowest point of my life, I began to be introduced to kind of new age practices there was a woman there who was suffering as well. She began to speak and she just seemed to be one of the most intelligent women I had ever met. She told me about a lot of her life experiences and she just told me about what she had learned thus far and where she found her supernatural encounters. And she would speak to me of this ohm and... um yogic practices because she was a certified yoga instructor and she would speak to me of all these encounters with the ohm how this light would come into her room while she was meditating and how she began to be in a meditative state so long that she could like hold her breath and it felt like hours that she wasn't breathing you know because she was surviving off of this life force called like prana so she just began to throw all these terms and these things at me that in that time I was like wow, like that's really, really interesting. It began to stir this hunger in me that was like, hmm, I wonder what she's talking about. 
And she actually led us through certain like meditative trances, like yoga nidra while we were there. And leaving, I felt like I had a whole new like perspective on life. I remember for sure that was when I threw God away. I had been stopped going to church, but that was the point where I was like, I don't know what I believe, but I know it's not the God of the Bible. And coming out of that hospital, um, life didn't get better on the outside. As soon as I got out, I was high again. But now I was doing my own drugs, but I also had all of the medications that they put me on in the hospital. I was on antipsychotics. I was on mood stabilizers. I was on uh, anger medicine, anti-anxiety like medicine, things like that. And so I was kind of just trying to suppress everything. So it was around December 2019 that I began to fall deeper into depression and anxiety that I was trying to cope from with the last relationship and the things that had happened that I turned to something a little harder and I began to do cocaine. And from there, it just seemed like my life just got worse and worse and worse. I ended up getting kicked out of my house. While I was kicked out of my house, I ended up being arrested. I ended up moving in with a girlfriend of mine and then getting kicked out of that place as well, you know, kind of moving, living out of my car at points. And it all just proved to be really chaotic. And then the pinnacle of it all, COVID came, and then I lost my job too. So it was like everything just stacked on top of everything. And it was just like, what? why have I been dealt such a bad card? Without a job, I had no structure. So I was really left to my own devices, trying to fill like all the idle time in my day. And so I began to party and I began to hang out with like a new group of people. And they introduced me to harder drugs like ecstasy and molly. I began to do shrooms in order to try to heal from like the past stuff because that's what they introduced shrooms as is like a healing mode. I started to drink very heavily in that time, almost a blackout like every night just because I, I wanted to just quiet it all. And during that point of like binge drinking and just being really, really lost, I ended up being raped by one of the guys that would be at these parties. And I think that was when like my life came to a full stop was because I could not grasp how life could be so evil. I could not comprehend the depth of like the wickedness down here. And that was when I really started searching because I was like, there has to be a purpose for all of this. I can't just live and be here and just think it's for nothing like there has to be something and I began to to search for that something and because I had done shrooms it had opened me up to like alternate spiritualities and with the opening up of my eyes or my spiritual eyes in that way I began to dive into crystal healing first in crystal healing they teach you kind of things like if you carry a certain crystal it will bring around certain effects so I was looking for peace so I was always carrying crystals that would calm me because after the assault I began to have panic attacks where I would kind of like leave my body and I would be gone for hours and I would be triggered by the littlest thing, but I, I couldn't be touched and I couldn't be reached. People would try to like get my attention and I just wouldn't be there because I would just have disappeared because of how traumatic that was for me. 
I was just reaching out for any type of healing. And that's when I got into like saging my room to get rid of those evil energies that were tormenting me. And I began to look deeper, you know, just into um, tarot cards, readings online. Like, what do I have to do? Where's my inner child wound or what's the soul wound that I'm avoiding? How do I heal this? And I just began reaching and reaching and reaching. And the thing about the new age is that it's very um, deep that if you keep walking, you'll always find something new. So I always found something new to sate the piece of me that still didn't feel satisfied. At that point, I began to use acid as well. And using acid opened my head up to a whole different level of witchcraft because at first it was very unconscious witchcraft. It was very just rebellion, but I didn't understand the level of it. When I started to drop acid, that's when I entered into the realm of I know full well what I'm operating in and I'm okay with it. And that's when I really started to step into uh, light magic and or white magic, light magic, light worker, uh, the title of light worker being somebody who's been charged with bringing the earth to a higher reality, you know, so in the new age, they give you all these titles and all this power and authority that are really not theirs to give and are really not yours at all either. And so in the new age, I felt powerful and the girl who had been assaulted found comfort in knowing that I created my own reality and I got to decide what comes next and I got to be the the writer of all of this. I found so much comfort in that moment because I had lost so much of my control. I felt like everything had been taken from me, but in the new age, I felt like I got it back. And Now, before you move from there, quick que- two questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, how old were you when all of this was happening, when you were uh, experimenting with uh, new age witchcraft? 18. 18. And what did everybody around you think about this? Like, what were you hearing around, like, the people around? Obviously, clarify for me if this was something that was public. Did people know that you were doing this? And the people that didn't know, what were they telling you? It was public. I was very um, outward with it. Um, I used to say that I was like an evangelist for the new age because I would teach people all the time. I would come into contact and I would let them know like, hey, don't you know your Bible's been lying to you and here's Mm. the truth. And people were always very kind and receptive to what I had to say. Everybody that heard me talking about the new age wanted to get into some parts. I know that there are multiple people that I had kind of led to the new age. Even to this day, they still practice new age practices because of how I would like explain it to them. I never had anybody be negative about it. Everyone was like, oh, wow, like that really makes sense. And I think it's because the new age begins to address questions Hmm. that the church does not. And because of that, things that people have always had as questions and they're always like, well, I've always wondered why this is a thing or what connects these two things the new age begins to bring those answers. And so people were always just receptive of the knowledge and the wisdom that seemed very spiritual, but was really earthly in nature. So Jessica, talk to me about that moment that the Lord began to reveal himself to you again, and he began to um, really expose everything around you. It was a process. It wasn't like an overnight thing. Originally, I was being taught in the new age that Jesus was an ascended master and that he was like a spirit guide you could call on. So one day I decided because I was working on my heart chakra to call on the one spirit guide or ascended master that I knew was known for his compassion. So I called on Jesus. And when I called on Jesus to enter my heart and to fix my heart and to teach me, everything began to change after that. The tarot cards no longer made sense. The uh, crystals didn't work. It, It just felt like there was something so wrong deep in my soul. 
it felt like everything went downhill in new age. I no longer felt like really powerful or really, um, I felt confused. I felt like for the first time that I might be wrong. I remember there was one night that I had gone to bed and I was drunk and high. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night in like a cold sweat and there's like tears pouring down my face. I don't know if I saw something or if I had a dream or what, but my soul was terrified. And I remember calling out for a God that I didn't even believe existed. And I just began to pray. And the only prayers I knew at the time were like those Catholic prayers. So I, I just prayed like the Our Father. And I remember falling back asleep. And then the next morning when I woke up, I went to the bathroom and I was caught off guard by the mirror because I didn't see myself as this powerful, you know, light worker, this witch anymore. I saw myself as broken and I saw myself as just, I feel like how God had seen me or like the reality of who I was. And I was weak. I was frail. I needed help. I was in need of a savior. And I just saw myself like that. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and kind of asking out loud, well, what do I do now? I had no idea where to go from them. I had built my whole life on new age. What was I supposed to do? And then I heard his voice and he just said, follow me. And when he said that, I was like, you know what? wherever you're taking me is better than where I've been. So I just started to follow him. And that's where I've been ever since is just walking after him. Talk to me about that moment. Um, when you say you heard a voice, right? Was this audibly, was this just something inside of you that you were like, I know this is God. Could you just describe a little bit more? Cause that's amazing, right? Uh, you hear something and it completely changes your life. But for people who've never heard that, or who don't know about that, um, just tell us a little bit more about that moment. It wasn't an audible voice. It was definitely internal, but it was so loud and so clear that it felt like there was somebody standing right next to me who would have said it. And I didn't know at the time, like I couldn't have told someone like, yeah, that was Jesus. But in my heart, I knew like this was the truth calling me. Yeah. And looking back, I can say with confidence, like that was the Holy Spirit definitely drawing me in to himself. Yeah. I remember you also telling me about when you saw yourself, it was a brokenness that you saw. Um, talk to me a little bit about more about what the Lord began to even reveal to you in that moment and in the moments to come of the life that you had been living. What did he begin to speak to you? Physically, I was really sick because at that time, my addiction had reached like a peak where I was not eating, but I was taking Adderall every day. I was doing Coke every day. I was mixing, drinking. I was not eating at all. So I had lost 20 pounds and I was physically like skin and bones. I looked very, very sick. Mentally, I had been lying to myself and I had been putting up this facade that I had found the answers and I was leading all these people to the answers, you know, but I had no clue what I was even talking about. Like I was so lost. And that's what he was showing me was that I didn't know anything at all. In fact, I knew nothing. And for somebody who prided themselves on their intelligence and their ability to understand the spiritual, to come to a place where it's like you've actually learned nothing at all kind of shattered me. Like I really had gotten to a point where I thought I was God. And that's what they teach you in the new age is like that we are gods. So I had gotten to a point where I thought I was the one in control and I thought I was the one who deserved worship and I thought I was the one who was above all things. 
And when God encountered me in that moment, it was extremely humbling because it was like, you're not in control because if you were in control, you wouldn't be suffering the way that you are. You wouldn't be addicted. You wouldn't be depressed. You wouldn't be unable to change your circumstances, but you are completely stuck. And in that moment, it was like, you have to admit that you're not God. And it, yeah, it was very, very humbling. So Jessica, talk to me about your life after Jesus. You now have this moment where you encounter his voice and you know that he's real and he's calling you. What happened after? How did that relationship begin to build? So immediately, it was like, buy a Bible. I had never wanted to read a Bible, even when I was like teaching against the Bible. I never read it. I was just, you know, talking out of my own flesh. But something in me was like, you have to buy a Bible. You have to buy a Bible. So I immediately on Amazon, I was like, Bible, like, where do I get one? I had it sent to me. And I think I began to read it like as soon as I got it. And when I began to read some of like the beginning um, chapters do talk about like divination and sorcery and the arts of magic and how God hates it. And within three days, I began to throw out my tarot cards and I began to throw out my oracle cards and my crystals and I felt this like, ew, like I don't want any part of darkness. And the fact that I even tolerated that for so long, like it was a complete 360. Like it was just like, what was I doing? So God just began to convict me of the witchcraft pretty initially, like as uh, our relationship grew. Then he began to address like my behavior. So I was still smoking and I was still doing drugs at the time. And he began to address the drugs. He was like, this needs to stop. I didn't think I had the power. And, you know, I was like, God, what about the withdrawals? Like, I don't want to do that. And he just promised to take care of me. And I remember as I was trying to quit the stuff, it just became more and more easily accessible. It was like, God, something does not want me to quit. It's just, I've never had so much access to this stuff. How are you going to tell me to quit in a time when it's freely available? And he just proved himself faithful because he gave me the strength one day to just say no when everyone around me was doing it. And he just gave me the strength to say no. And after that, I never did it again. And I never went through withdrawal and I never struggled physically because of putting that substance down. It just progressed of him like peeling layer after layer off. So first he dealt with the harder drugs and then he got to like my locations, like where I was going out. I was still going out to the clubs at the time. I had encountered Jesus, but I was still, you know, hanging out at these places. And I began to see into the spirit that those places had um, much worse consequences than I think I was aware of. And he began to remove me from those scenarios. And friends that I would have hung out with, he began to pull me out of those areas. And uh, spaces I used to be at all the time, he used to just pull me out. And I became separated. And at first it was kind of like lonely because I was like, God, like I'm a party girl. Like I just, I'm used to being outside all the time. And he like sat me up in my house and. And what did everybody around you think as this was happening, as you're removing yourself and your life is beginning to go in a different direction? There was a lot of mocking. There was a lot of, mm, yeah, okay. Which is weird because when I was in new age spirituality, everyone was like, oh yeah, she's so cool. Like woke. But then when I began to talk about Jesus to them and tell them we need to get our lives right, mm. then it was like, you're not, you know, get out of the party, you know, kind of mm. thing. Uh, like you're killing the vibe. And it was discouraging because people that I was around that were my friends disappeared the second I put the drugs down. They disappeared the second I said I wasn't going out to the clubs anymore. And, you know, people you knew weren't really your friends, but it still hurt because that's who I had surrounded myself with. So it was 
kind of discouraging, but there was something on the inside of me that was like, I don't care. I'm going to keep walking towards the voice that I heard. So after God had done a lot of cleansing and purging of my life, he began to add to the things that he wanted to see in my life. One of those things happened at a service that I had gone to. And when I had gone to this service, they had asked if anyone, you know, wanted to rededicate their life to Christ. And I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, a lot of people walked up to the uh, altar and I was like, oh, that's great for them. And I'm sitting like on the hood of the car, we're outside. And I began to feel like this, something physically pushing me off of the hood of the car, like go up, like that's for you. And I was like, no. And then the pastor at the front, he won't move on. He's like, no, there's somebody else. And he just begins to wait. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, who else needs to go? And a couple more people go up. So I'm just like, okay, he's going to move on. And the pastor's like, nope, there's still somebody else. And I was like, okay. And I know the Holy Spirit is telling me to go, but I'm just like, no, I'm not going up there. And then one of the people who were sitting next to me, they looked over at me and they were like, is he talking to you? And I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, I hear you. I'm going to go up. So when I went up, they began to pray uh, for me. And the woman who prayed for me, she prayed that I would receive the gift of tongues. And in that moment, I know that I was filled with the Holy Spirit and with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And growing up Catholic, I had never seen anyone speak in tongues. I had never heard it. That pastor at that church, nobody spoke in tongues the whole service. Like, I didn't even know what it was. But by faith, she prayed for me and I received it. So it was very foreign, but it felt very like pure. And I had done a lot, you know, in witchcraft and knowing the demonic, but this just was something so different. That was the like sustaining or the launching power I needed that in the months when I first had the encounter, I don't think I had it. And because of that, I, I did feel like I, I faltered or I heard the voice, but maybe not in the fullness that I, I could have. And once I was filled with the Holy Ghost, it was like this entire shift. I began to fast and I began to pray and I just began to dive deeper into the things of God. And I was just on fire. I remember I came home and my parents were still very Catholic, but I began to like testify to them of the of the goodness of God. And mind you, I was the kid they were like kicking out of the house because I wouldn't put the drugs down. And now I'm coming back to tell them about Jesus and how he's real and how I'm sober and we have to worship God. And, you know, it, it did come up with like a lot of contentions in the house just because how I believed was different from how they believed but it was just this intense like well then I have to fast for them I have to pray for them and something in me was just like I'm a fast and I'm a pray and I began to like fast and pray for deliverance for my family because I um and I didn't really know what that was but God began to lead me to certain like YouTubers that were explaining the topic and I remember I was actually led to a certain YouTuber's map and they had ministers in the area on the map that were doing deliverance. And at the time, there were only two churches on there. And one of the churches was Nova Hub. And I saw that on the screen. And I remember trying to pray about it. And I was like, God, should I go to this? And the voice I heard was not God. But it was like, no, that's not real. And I was like, okay, you're right. And I stayed away from it because I was just very weary after coming out of witchcraft. I didn't know like what was still a part of it. 
So later I had a friend who had visited the church and was like, no, like they're actually legit. And he actually brought me to church one day. And up to this point, I had left the drugs behind, but now I was tormented. And every waking moment of my day was like, why are you not high? I know where you can get some. We need to go get high. And it was just consistent all the time. I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. And it was driving me literally crazy. It was terrible. And when I got to Nova Hub that day, I remember walking into the front door and all they were doing was singing. They were just worshiping. And in that moment, I heard the voices in my head, not as my own voice, which is how I usually heard them, but I heard it as something separate. And it was like, why would you bring us here to torment us? And I was like, where am I at? Like, I was so confused at that point because it was just like, what are you talking? Like, am I making this up? And when I walked in the door, they were just singing and, you know, worshiping. And at the time I had been building my own like little relationship with God. So I was fasting and I had even asked God, you know, if I need deliverance, what do I need deliverance from? And he led me to a passage in Judges, you know, and when I came to the church, they began to preach on the same passage he had led me to. So I was just seeing like little pieces of the supernatural, but in God this time and all the things that I had grown up with, with God being not very present and the gifts not being present. I was seeing him do away with that. So I I saw him, you know, come with tongues. And then I was seeing him like show up like in fasting. I would have visions and I would see spiritual. I don't know what I was seeing. I I feel like it was Jesus but or an angel. I couldn't tell you. But um, then I was seeing, you know, the miracle workings of deliverance. And it was like this whole world of Christianity that I had never known. I didn't I had never looked at a Christian to be powerful in the spirit, but walking into this church and seeing people who were equipped to do the work of God, but not just in word, but in power, I was like, this is something I need. And I remember being a little prideful because I didn't want to go to church just because like, I was like, God, me and you have done this for the last six months you know, by myself, like, why do I have to get into a body? But he really ministered to me the importance of community and being one with the body of Christ and getting to a place where I could lean on my brothers and sisters in Christ. So since then, I've been at Nova Hub and at Nova Hub, I've been able to begin to serve in ministry as well on the dance ministry. And even just learning through dance, I've been able to one get to a point where I'm very joyful. My mental clarity like is very sound. I used to suffer from depression all the time, but in worship, I feel like that's broken off of me where I'm never depressed. I don't ever get to a point where I'm hopeless, which is where I used to exist. I never thought that joy was possible. And even like learning in dance ministry, how to worship through the warfare and understanding like one bad day isn't the end of it all. You know, it's just a season. It's just a night, but joy does come in the morning, you know, and knowing that I can serve and add to the house of God. Like it was just everything that I had been searching for. All the abandonment I felt from the time in high school, I felt God replacing it with a community who I knew wouldn't hurt me. And at first I was kind of really scared to like be in here. I used to sit by the the door and I would leave really quick because I was so scared of being in groups of people because I used to get physically hurt. But now God has me like really tight knit with a lot of the people here that I look at a lot of them like family. And I had never felt that way about like any type of people. And even my home life, God has restored that completely as well. I went from being kicked out of the house and my parents and me not having any relationship, me feeling like I was abandoned by them to him completely restoring it. And I see my mom as one of my best friends and my best friend to the point like I was able to share with her some of the abuse that had happened to me in the past. 
And when I spoke to her, I think I expected her to look at me the way I had looked at myself, very disappointed and very ashamed. But all she told me was that she loved me. And it was like coming full circle, like that all that I was scared of and all that I had gone through trying to reject God and his love. Like I saw it mirror like with my mom, like I had spent all this time rejecting her and trying to avoid her. But all she wanted to give me was love. And it was the same way with God was all he was trying to get to me was love. But I just because of what I had gone through as a child, I had built up this wall saying I was not good enough or deserving enough or, you know, I wasn't worthy enough for the love of God. But it was only after I came to Christ that I realized that it was nothing that I did. It was only after, like, hearing the gospel for real for the first time that I was like, oh, it's because of what Jesus did that makes me worthy and makes me redeemed. I don't have to, you know, lay up before him all the things that I did. He's already forgotten about it, and it's already washed away. So there's been a lot of restoration that he's done and a lot of healing and even getting me to a point of like forgiveness for all of my abusers, my ex-boyfriend, even like the man who assaulted me to a point where it's like I pray for them and I pray for them to know Jesus. And that was something in the new age couldn't even do. In the new age, I was resentful and I was angry and sure I would, you know, do positive vibes, but I was always focused on trying to fix myself. I never got to a point in the new age where I was like, I pray these blessings for this person. I want this person to reach enlightenment. I I was never focused on them. I was always just focused on what I have to do in order to heal. But when I came to God, it was like, no, the reason those people hurt me was because they didn't know Jesus's love either. So I got to a point where I began to pray for their restoration and I began to pray for their, you know, forgiveness and asking God to, you know, not look at what they did to me, but really just get them to a point where they would be introduced to his love as well. Because I know that anyone who comes into true contact with God's love would never do stuff like that, you know? So it's definitely a huge shift in the way I see people. I'm not angry anymore. I used to live my whole life angry and bitter and just resentful, but I'm at a point now where God has shown me that his love for people is unconditional, and he's taught me how to love people that way as well, and it's just so much more fulfilling being able to love people and see the best in them and see what God sees in them versus always judging them and tearing them down and just expecting the worst because of what I had experienced. So really, he freed me from all that I experienced in the past so that I can openly receive all that he has for me now. Jessica, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is my savior and my best friend. A savior because no matter what I was involved in and no matter how far, how bad my case looked, he was never intimidated by what I was doing. He was never with his nose up, like looking at me like she's too far gone. In fact, he looked at me and he was like, well, that's mine and I'm going to pursue her. Mm. He pulled me out of everything, even things that you know, doctors told me I would deal with my whole life, like my mental illness, he pulled me out of all of it. And I could have never done anything up to this point, like even just living, I could have never done any of it without him. So he really, he saved me from myself just as much as he saved me from the world. For anybody who's watching your testimony right now that may be involved with witchcraft, or maybe they know somebody who is involved in witchcraft and they have a heart for them, what can you tell to those people watching? Nine times out of 10, witchcraft is a symptom of somebody who's really hurt. So if you're in witchcraft, I understand that you've been hurt, but all of the healing that you're looking for, all of the chasing you're doing can come to an end when you look at Jesus and when you trust him. And for people who are praying for people in witchcraft, 
I know it's easy sometimes to just pray that the witchcraft stops, but really you should be praying that their soul would be restored. Because what I needed was not people, you know, looking at me like I was doing something wrong. I needed them to see that my heart was wounded and I was just trying to heal it myself instead of letting God do it. I would also just let people in witchcraft know that it doesn't matter how far into witchcraft that you've gone. It doesn't mean that you're too far from God or that you've done the unredeemable thing. It doesn't mean that God hates you either. He's willing to get his hands dirty in order to pick you up. Jessica, any last words? I feel like it's cliche, but God loves you. And I say that with like a lot of weight because the one thing I was searching for in everywhere that I went was love. And the only place that I found it is in Christ. And I wish I would have been able to tell like my younger self that she didn't have to give herself away or that she didn't have to put herself in these situations in the name of trying to scramble up just a little bit of love. God has an unconditional amount, like an overwhelming, overflowing amount of love reserved just for you. And you don't have to beg anybody for it. So I would say for people that are struggling or people that are in these lower situations, like you don't have to beg for love. God wants to give it to you.
message is entitled, The Wolf is at the Door. The Wolf is at the Door. Father, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for your word. It's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. I thank you, Lord, for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit that gives us new hearts, Lord, so that we can stretch out beyond our limitations and be ambassadors of you and your word to all who can still hear. I thank you, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit. I thank you for courage and compassion today. God, to speak things that need to be spoken in this generation. Help us, Lord, as a church, never to back away from truth. Help us to go forward and let it fall where it may. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. The wolf is at the door. Isaiah chapter 53. Prophet Isaiah says these words. Who has believed our report? Beginning at verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's, it's so important before we even begin to look at this passage of Scripture to understand that it was a religious system that crucified Christ. You know, we understand that the Roman authorities were the instruments of his death, but it was the religious order of the day created by God's own people that put the Son of God on a cross. There were leaders in that generation, and they had, they had used their position over the people to garner titles for themselves. They had adorned themselves in righteous robes as they saw it, and they, they loved to parade among the people, as Jesus said, and be called master, teacher, teacher, teacher in the marketplace. But Jesus himself came in a form that he did not take on this form of grandeur that men give to themselves. And also, too, they created a system of salvation that was much wider and much more inclusive than the one that God had given to us. As a matter of fact, it was so narrow that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. They were so offended when he challenged their religious system because they had, they had created this wide door into eternal life and eternal bliss with God that doesn't exist. All kinds of people were coming into the temple defiled and going out defiled. They were living in manners and ways that the Bible clearly indicated would leave them excluded from the kingdom of God forever. And so in comes this man. He's not interested in their system. He's not trying to garner one of their titles. He's not doing things their way. The Bible says there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. 
He's not dressed in righteous robes. He's, he's not got boxes on his forehead. He's not walking around with tassels on his arms. He's not parading like some rooster before the people, talking about how close to God he actually is. They despised him and rejected him because he challenged the religious system. They had created a system of redemption that did not exist. Do you understand? And that's the propensity of humankind. The original sin in the Garden of Eden is that we can be as God is. Remember, we can, we can become judges of what's good and what's evil. And if you take that to its logical extension, we can start declaring things that are, that are God forgives when he doesn't. We can start declaring behaviors righteous when they're not. We can start telling people they're going to heaven when they aren't. That is the grave, grave danger of religion. When humankind in its sin nature is allowed to take it and so twist it and so pervert it that it becomes something that God never intended it to be. Can you imagine sitting in a place as a professed or supposed believer in Christ only to end up at the throne of God one day to find out you've been outside the whole thing all along? What a tragedy that's going to be for so many. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. There was a, a heaviness in the heart of the Son of God as he looked on the people as sheep without a shepherd. But we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And we are, of course, reliving the scripture again in great measure in our day. In many, many places, even where God's people are gathering, the word of God is despised. And we are now gravitating to fancy preachers who have opened the door real wide to people who are not going to heaven, giving them false peace when they're not at peace with God. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things are what passed away, and behold, all things are become new. If, if we are in Christ, if Christ is in us, that means a new value system. It means a new heart. It means a new mind. It means a new way of speaking, thinking, living. It means that what God says is good is good, and what God says is evil is evil. We don't try to change that. We accept that from the Word of God. Yeah. Now, this message is given to shepherds to bring us not only to the knowledge of our salvation, but to the freedom which Christ bought for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his beating, as it is, that he took on the cross, we are healed. The old things don't have power over us anymore unless we choose to let them. The old ways of living, speaking, thinking, doing are broken. And we become new creations in Christ. We are able to look back and say, thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm not everything that I hoped to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be, and thank God I'm going to be one day what Christ is calling me to be. So there's this constant moving forward in the life of a genuine believer, leaving an old way of thinking, an old way of living, an old way of speaking, and moving to truth, even when it's painful. The book of Proverbs says, a righteous person swears to their own hurt and doesn't change. In other words, I say I'm going to do this, and I do it because God's word says I should, even if it causes me pain. And I don't turn from it. Now, Paul was this kind of a shepherd. He, 
he didn't hold back, as I said earlier. This is what he said in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 to 31. He said, therefore, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, and this is the cry of my heart. If anyone here today, hearing my voice, ends up in hell, let it not be my fault. Let it never be because I didn't declare to you the whole counsel of God, or I didn't warn you of something that had the power to drag you down into eternal darkness. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul says, For this I know, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, he said, day and night with tears. Paul said there's going to be wolves that are going to come and they're all already, there's packs of them now. It's not just a few, there's many now in our generation. And they're going to come to devour the sacrifice of Christ and the promise of new life through him. They're going to promise you liberty, as the scripture says in the New Testament, but they themselves are the slaves to corruption. They're promising something they're not experiencing themselves and they can't deliver it. Listen to what Jude says, the last book of the New Testament before the book of the Revelation. Verse 3 says, Behold, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Here's what the wolves do. They teach that you can live a lifestyle against the word of God and still claim heaven as your eternal home. That is the wolf that's now at the door of the Christian church in America. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. That means people who engage in sexual intercourse outside of the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman. Fornicators are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Settle it. It's in the word of God. Don't be deceived into thinking you can live in a moral lifestyle and heaven will still be your home. So hard for this generation to hear. 
when you've got preachers standing in pulpits saying, well, God understands your need and God is a God of love and God won't send anybody to hell. No, that's not true. God is a God of love. We know that. But the Bible tells us that fornicators have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Nor idolaters, people who have other loves in there. Something that is in your life that, that is, is, is your whole obsession. Churches or Christ is just a little part of your life, but there's something else in your life that you're pursuing. Nor adulterers, people who engage, who are married, but engage in... You know, today we take words like adultery and we call it an extramarital affair, as if it's a black tie event. You know, you are invited to an extramarital affair next Friday at 5 o'clock. Bible calls it adultery. Adultery. Settle it. Deal with it. The sex outside of marriage will keep you outside of the kingdom of God. And sex outside of the bonds of the person that you are married to, the, wife, the man or woman you're married to, will also keep you outside of the kingdom of God, unless it's repented of. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. In other words, that's both, men and women. Folks, listen. I understand the dilemma, in a sense, uh, that some might face in same-sex attraction. But I'm telling you, you can't give in to that lifestyle on any level. Because the Bible clearly says it will leave you outside the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said some people are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. In other words, some people just live their lives without any sexual activity for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he said whoever can hear this, let them hear it. You know, you can, you go to a funeral, for example. And you can dress it up with flowers all around, and you can, there's a death certificate. And the preacher can get up and say nice words. But the reality is that the corpse is still dead. You can't make it live. It doesn't matter what you do. And it's the same with homosexual marriage, folks. I've got to say it straight out today. I'm not going to hold back on it. You can adorn it with flowers. You can get a certificate from City Hall. You, you can find some backslidden preacher to say nice words about it. But the wages of sin is still death. You can't change that. Now listen, I'll be called a hater for, for this message today. I understand that. But I'm not a hater. If I hated you, I'd let you go to hell. If I hated you, I'd let you die in your sin. If I walk down the street and your house is on fire and you're up in your bedroom window and I don't warn you, am I really a good neighbor? Do I really love you? Do I really care about your eternal destiny? You can curse me out of your bedroom window all you want, but I will still warn you that your house is on fire for your soul's sake. Nor thieves. Lest we should think that we're just going to focus on one thing. Nor thieves. That means people who steal. It's that simple. People who steal. People who steal a little. They have a contract maybe and steal a little bit more than they should. Income tax time is coming around, folks. Are you going to pay your taxes? <laughs> nor covetous. Nor drunkards. People who come to church this morning, but you were out at a club last night. 
You're drinking and dancing and, and this foolishness. I'm out there to share the testimony of Christ. Who are you kidding? If you really are there to do that, stand on the sidewalk with pamphlets in your hand and give it to the drunks coming out of the club. You don't need to be in there with them. No revilers. You know, especially in, in this environment we're now living in, in this country at this time, where reviling has is is, is become the speech of the day, where it's, it's fashionable just to curse everybody around you. You know, Paul said revilers don't inherit the kingdom of God. We have a different heart. We have a different spirit. We're, we're a different kind of people. Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I love that. Would be to God that I can honestly say that of everybody here today. Such were some of you. But you are sanctified. That means you are set apart for the kingdom of God. You are, you, 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 you honestly repented. You walked away. You moved away from what God's word says is wrong. You can't make it right. You can't change it. It doesn't matter if a million people say, oh, isn't this wonderful? If God's word says it's not, it's not. You are sanctified. You walked away. You walked away from these old ways of thinking, these old behaviors and all of these things. And you set yourself apart for the kingdom of God. You're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now you and I are living in an hour where the wolf is heading to the door of the church. Demanding in our generation that we bow down to this new definitions of good and evil. This is where we're living. The days of being able to say without penalty what I'm saying today are are over if they're not if they're not over they're very close to over it's an amazing time that we're now living in jesus said in john chapter 10 i am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep but a hireling who is not the shepherd one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep this is the point there's a lot of hirelings and a lot of pulpits in america today and they're, they're they don't necessarily leave the people but they leave biblical truth they flee the truth when the wolf is at the door when the wolf says if you don't bow down this is our golden statue this is what this generation is going to look like this is what you'll preach these are the truths that you will espouse they will bow down when the music plays to save themselves because it's always been about themselves not about the people the hireling will flee and you will you are seeing and you will see a huge departure from biblical truth in the Christian church in this last hour we're living in. The Bible declares that there's going to be an apostasy, a great falling away in the last days from biblical truth. And the hirelings will lead the people, not into the narrow way of eternal life, but into that broad way of destruction. And they flee because it's always done about them. It's been about the robes. It's been about the praises of man. It's been about the titles. It's been about the numbers. It's been about the apparent evidences of success. Then when Christ comes and challenges them, they hate him. His own system hated him. His own people hated him. 
They pushed him away because he declared their definitions of salvation and truth to be bankrupt. He told them they were full of dead men's bones. He said, you go across land and sea to get one convert and you make him twice the child of hell that you've become. These are the words of Christ. He warned us in the last days there would be a great falling away. He warned us. He said, you're going to be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You can't escape that. That's a promise in the word of God. We're going to be hated. It's starting now. You're seeing it in society. You're seeing it in the workplace. You can't even have an opinion on things anymore in this generation that we're now living in. Let me say it clearly now. Abortion. For the cause of birth control. Or, or so that pe- I understand there are extenuating circumstances. So please don't misquote me on this. But for the cause of just birth control. Or for the cause of having sexual pleasure. And not having to deal with the life that it can create. Is sin. In the sight of a holy God. It's a terrible sin in the sight of a holy God. In America today. The deliberate. Gender confusing of our children in grade school is sin in the sight of a holy God. In our high schools, forbidding our children to pray and creating this fictitious division between the state and the church, which doesn't exist. If you really study it, you'll understand it never existed. It was created by the godless. Forbidding our children to pray in our schools is sin in the sight of a holy God. In our colleges, allowing godless professors to rise up and mock God and radicalize a whole generation against even their own nation that was founded by God for the purpose of being able to worship according to the word of God and freely by conscience is sin in the sight of a holy God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So let this society despise him. Let them consider him ordinary. Let them rebel against his words. But this day, as Joshua once said, if it be hard to follow the Lord, that's your choice. Choose this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. By the grace of God, we will not bow before the wolf in this generation. By the grace of God, we will stand for the truth of God. By the grace of God, we will pray again. We will pray again as a church age. By the grace of God, we will stand up unashamed for the truth of Jesus Christ. We stand on the side of victory. We stand on the side. We stand on the side of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah.
And as uh, David the king once did, we will stand in this generation against the lion and the bear and everything that comes in to devour our children and to devour the people of God. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up. It's time for the people of God to fight back. It's time for us to begin to pray. It's time to run for public office. It's time for teachers to speak. It's time. It's time for the people of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Glory, 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 glory. The true shepherds of God in this generation are going to care more for the people than for their own safety. More than our own reputation. It's not going to be an easy road. But I don't know about you, but I'm not giving up this generation to darkness. I'm going to stand because the word of God stands forever. The opinions of men are like grains of sand on the seashore. They'll fall into nowhere. But the word of God abides forever. Now here's where I conclude. If you're living in sin, I plead with you, while there's still time, turn. Turn from it. And trust God for the strength. I know there's some sitting here or listening online or they're in the annex and they say, you don't know how deep the bondage is. You don't know how powerful the draw is. No, I don't. But I know the Spirit of God is more powerful than all of that put together. And I know the promise of God is that we will have a new life, an eternal life. The days of living in Christian ease is over in America, folks. It's over. We're about to join our brothers and sisters in China and other places who are being persecuted for what they believe. In Iran, who are being jailed and put to death for believing in Christ. We've lived a very comfortable, very lazy Christianity in America, but those days are over. The wolf is now at the door. Pray for those of us who lead in any capacity that God would give us courage. As I pray for you, that God would give you a cleanness of life and practice and heart and give you the courage to speak up in whatever environment you find yourself in. Our children are starving for truth in this generation and they're wide open. There's only a few Goliaths that claim that they have the power to keep us from being the people of God. But they don't. So I challenge you with all my heart, turn from sin, find that new life in Christ, and rise up and be the person that God's called you to be. We're going to sing for just a few moments. We're going to worship. I guess my other call is just twofold today. For people that say, Oh, God, help me, please, to turn from this thing in my life. I don't have to tell you what it is you already know. Help me to turn away from watching pornography. Help me to turn away from drink. Help me, God, to turn away from that flirtation in the office. 
help me, God, help me, God, to stop railing. Get me off, get me out of the seat of the scornful and help me to walk with the righteous. Deliver me, God, from cowardice and put a love for people in my heart that casts out all fear. Give me a voice to call this generation back to you again. And God, help me not to cower under the fear of the repercussions that will come all of our way. You know, I was in Washington, and there's an ex-general there who really gives courage to my heart every time I meet him and talk with him. And essentially, what he would say if he were standing here is, you have to fight for a cause higher than your own preservation. If it's just about preserving yourself, you'll flee when the enemy comes. If it's about others, you'll stand. May God give us the courage in this generation to stand for those that don't have a voice for themselves, for our children, for the unborn, for our high school students, for our college students, for every mother, every father, every child in this country that needs to know there's a Savior who died for them. Give us the grace to be kind and compassionate to all, not judging anyone. We leave that to God, but reaching as far as we can reach into this mass of fallen humanity with this message of incredible grace that belongs to every person who turns to it through Jesus Christ. So, Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you will today cause your kingdom to advance. You will give us the strength and courage that we now need as a people to stand against the onslaught of wickedness that wants to extinguish the testimony of your life and word. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for courage for your people as others throughout the world have had to have. God, deliver us, Lord, from this life of ease that so many of your people have known and bring us into the true fight for the souls of men. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. God, we yield our bodies today to this purpose. We thank you in Jesus' name. So we're going to stand in a moment. For those who just, you just know you have to turn from something. And for those who want to turn towards Christ, maybe you don't have a struggle that I'm talking about in your life, but you say, God, I'm stuck in neutral. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going back and I'm not going forward. But today you say, I want to make a difference. I want my life to count. I want my voice to have authority. If that's you, we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to make your way here. We're going to pray together and believe God to answer our prayer. In the annex, you can make your way here. We'll wait for you in the campus churches. Step between the screens, if you will. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, Every time I look at people at this altar, I see a mighty army of God. I, I do. I honestly do. So, Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would give every man, every woman, every young person who is at this altar who are responding in our campus churches or at home, courage, courage, Lord, and compassion. Lord, your word speaks of a perfect love that casts out fear. So, God, give us a love for people that we would not be afraid to speak truth. 
without condemning them, without railing, just loving and speaking the truth. Father, help those that are caught in sin to turn from it. Help us as your people, my God, to be clean. We who bear the treasure of Christ in these earthen vessels, cleanse us, God, of impurity and mixture and things that cause your voice not to be heard or your heart not to be seen. Give us the grace we need to be the people of God. Lord, help us. Help this nation. Give us a moment of mercy, Lord, to turn back to you again. Give us the grace to pray. Heal our homes, our families, our marriages, our children, my God. Deliver us, Lord, from those that crept in to our schools, our colleges, and our high schools, Lord, and took captive our children. Deliver us, God, from this moment. As you delivered your people out of Egypt, deliver us, God, from those who are throwing our children into the river of confusion. Forgive us, Lord, as a people, as a nation, for what we allowed in our laziness to come into our borders. Forgive us, Lord God, for abdicating the training of our children and giving it to others, Lord, who took advantage and began to steal them from your kingdom. God, help us now to take our rightful place. Help the fathers here to take their place as the head of their home, as the guide, the spiritual guide of their families. Help the mothers to understand the incredible power that they have Lord, it is truly said that the hand that rocks the cradle shapes the nation. That's true. That's true. I pray, God, for every every woman here. God, I ask today, Lord, uh, that even from this meeting today, people would rise up and find your will and walk into it, Lord, with faith. Whatever it is, wherever you lead us, take us, Lord. We dedicate our lives to you, Lord. We dedicate our futures to you. We thank you for covering our past and our present failure and giving us the promise of new life into the future. Lord, we will not despise you. We will not turn our faces from you or lightly esteem you. Your word is the truth, Lord. It is the only guide we have into eternal life. So God God help us, Lord. Help us to learn your word, to study your word, to know your word, and to cherish your word. Father, thank you for the great fruit that will be born into your kingdom just from the lives that are here at the altar and on their knees in their homes right now. Just thank you for the great fruit that will be born for your kingdom's sake. Lord, we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God.
radio not just for your ears, but also for your spirit. Jesus in the morning radio. And you're with Barbara. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This dark and Norwood, a praise in the temple and a praise in your mouth, a praise in the house. God bless you this morning. Good morning to each and every one. Thank God for this day, another Tuesday morning. The Lord has blessed us. And we are grateful, grateful, grateful unto him. And I enjoyed that message. I enjoyed the testimonies as well. Because we overcome by testimonies and the blood of the lamb. If he did it for them, he'll do it for me. Yeah, if he do it for me, he'll do it for you. Hallelujah. We just got to believe today. It all starts again today with faith. Believe in God. Hallelujah. Don't let our flesh outweigh the spirit man because that flesh will have us doing some things and thinking it's okay with God when it's not because your flesh want to be pleased. I got to do something. I got to do something. Never considered God, never prayed about it, just jump right into it. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Seek the Lord in all things. Wait, have patience to wait on the answer from him. You're not going to die. It's not going to be the end of the world before he answers. He heard you the first time. Hallelujah. I listened to that message. Uh, this is like my third time, fourth time. Listening to the wolf is at the door. And we are ignoring a lot of the warning signs that's already here. We're ignoring the fact to train our flesh to come under subjection and allow the spirit of, the, of, of God to live through us and in us. Hallelujah. Because things are winding up. I know it, it appears to be business as usual, but if you look at even the stores, they don't have all they used to have. I would just pay things some attention. Gas prices, many different things are happening and we just it's flooding in Texas. It, it, all kind of stuff is going. We we had some weird weather here in Florida, and I tell you, it's still hot here. It is still very hot. Yeah, in the month of August, but this Florida. So you know, we kind of look at it and say, well, we used to this. Didn't happen every year. No, it don't happen every year. Yeah, but it it, it is happening now. And so there are a lot of things that's going on that we ignore. But I tell you, I promise you, it's time to pay things more. If you never paid stuff any attention before, it's time to pay it some attention now. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am and yes, sir. Time is really winding up. I was looking at a young man, and I think that was yesterday. I could have been early this morning. He was talking about, they warned them that within the next two weeks, all of the main trucking companies uh, won't be uh, bringing food and items and, and whatever they need in California. He said that California had been targeted. He said, well, look at it, the ports here, the this, the that. But we going under first, California. Yeah, he was talking about if you need food, do what you can to stock up. If you can grow your son, grow your son. Because soon there may not be none. And I looked at that. I said, well, I knew it was coming. 
because the scripture says so. But he said, when you hear these things, don't be alarmed. Just know it's getting closer to his return. Just know it's time to, to get the church in order. That's you. You're the church. It's time to seek God with your whole heart and stop running through the, through the world in your flesh and coming out your mouth, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I know God. Da, 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 da. Let the proof be in the pudding, even for yourself, because you got to prove to you too that you got God and you're being led by his spirit daily. Because if you're not being led by the spirit of God, you're being led by your flesh. And there's no good thing again today in your flesh. It's time to come up in faith. The least of thing happening, it's not time to run to somebody. We got to learn to trust God. Yeah, the least of thing happened with us. Oh, we need help. We got to get somebody. We, we, we don't really pray and wait on God. That's what we got to learn to do right now. Pray and learn to wait on him. Patience, patience. He talks about it. Let patience have her perfect work. Yeah, that we may be in time wanting for nothing. Yeah, we ain't going to want nothing. Why? Because we know God's going to supply it. Yesterday he was showing me some things. What, what do you really want? There's nothing you really want. There's nothing you really need. And if you need it, I'm supplying it. And if you want it, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm praying not to ask for things that are missed, things that are against God, things that God can't give us. I want to pray for the things he gives. Yeah, I want to pray for what he loves. He loves a cheerful giver. That's what I want to be. I don't want to be nothing else but that. Yeah. God is faithful. That he is. And we just got to get there to be faithful unto him. Because if we can be faithful unto him, I promise you there's a day coming when he's going to give you a crown of life that will never fade away. But we too busy worried about other stuff. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was much younger, much younger. Could have been in my late teens, early twenties, and I would hear people, you know, talk about retirement and all of that, and I would be like, I'm not worried about no retirement. I got plenty time to retire. Well, it started changing things. Yeah, I figured, okay, well, I work until I'm forty. And when I'm 40, that's it. I don't have to work no more. And I'm going to get all this money, and I'm going to live good <clears throat> every day. Yeah, I'm going to wait till I'm 20. And then I'll start to really make some plans. When 20 come, I wasn't starting plans. You hear me? Young, crazy, fresh young mind, not thinking about one day. Because I couldn't see myself turning 65. Do y'all hear me? I didn't see 65 in the plan. I always saw youth. I always saw late teens, early 20s. I didn't even see 30s. Mm -mm. I was seeing when I was too young. I would need a walking stick, a, a cane, a, a walker. I wouldn't need any of that. I wouldn't have to change no diet. 
I will never have no teeth extracted. What? That would be I would have perfect gums and I wouldn't have no no dental problems. I could always eat soul food and not worry about it. Change from eating soul food, who's gotta do that? I love fried chicken. What's wrong with fried chicken? Fried fish. <laughs> I eat vegetables if I want to, and if I don't, I won't. I could drink milk for calcium if I want to. If I don't, I don't have to. I'm going to be young like this forever. I'm assuming that's what my mind had to be telling me, all about how the times change. I can remember my dad saying, my knees swole, my knees hurt. And I would be like, he needs to stop all of that. Nothing is wrong with him. Daddy, why you always say that? He said, baby, your daddy needs bad. And I would just look at him and shake my head to myself, you know, and say, daddy needs to uh, tighten up behind here. Something wrong with him. Something is really wrong with my dad thinking something wrong with his knees. Nothing is wrong with him. Today, I can almost say the same thing he said. My knees are swollen. <laughs> My knees hurt. Yeah, I was diagnosed, uh, and the orthopedic doctor say in the left knee there's a tear. I had an accident. Yeah, and he said there's a tear in the left knee. I twisted the the kneecap, and that's the knee that don't give me many problems. It'll hurt if I, if I you know, try to do too much, but. It gave me really no problems. It's that left knee that I did not injure. And I'm like, well, how would it be that this knee hurt and I never injured it, but the knee I injured it don't hurt. But you see how the times have changed from 18, from 20, on until you turn getting your 60s. But sometimes we think this thing going to go on forever. But I'm here to share with you this morning, it will not. Changes are coming. Changes are coming. And they are coming quicker than you think. They are coming much faster than you could ever imagine. Oh, yeah, I'm just sharing. And I like to remind us, we went to bed one night, and many of us had never heard of anything called coronavirus. <laughs> Many of us had never heard of nothing called, in a few minutes, COVID-19. Then in another few, we had never heard of different variances of this thing. And yesterday, I went to uh, pick up a prescription from Walmart, and then young lady on the phone, she and I, we always talk when I go over there. Uh, they come out to the car, because I don't go in Walmart, but they come out to the car. And she and I, we always talk. Because uh, about four or five years ago, she had a son. And I remember when she was carrying the baby and all of that, and every time I would see her, I would ask her, how our company coming along? She said, oh, it's coming good. And even after he was born, every time I see her, I would ask her about him. So you know, we got to kind of know a little bit about each other. But listen, she asked me yesterday, she said, well, 
Ms. Dittman, would you like for me, we have some free COVID tests, and would you like for me to bring you two of those out to the car? At first, I was going to say no, and then I said, yeah, bring me two. So those nose and Barbara just want to see what they look like. That's all that was, because I'm not into all of that. But she brought it out to the car uh, in the bag with my prescription, and I come on home. I took them out, and she gave me four instead of two in boxes. Look at Louis Fried Fish. You need to stop. But they, what, it's been two years? been two years, heading into three years, and about six months, we'll be, or maybe five months, we'll be into the third year of coronavirus, COVID, the new variants is still being here. Then there's another thing come out, monkeypox. Listen, when we hear these things, don't be alarmed just to know it's closer to his return. When you hear there are no more trucks rolling the grocery store, when you hear Walmart is out, they they don't even have the dust on the shelf to sell to. If ever there was a time to prepare, now that time, warning comes before destruction. And some are going to have to hide their food. If you have food in your house, formula, diapers, whatever, many will have to hide it because people will break in and kill you because they want to eat and live too. And, and then eventually there will be something offered to you that if you take this, then you can survive, medical. Because if trucks start rolling, because that's who bring us the majority of what we need, trucks. They fly some stuff, trains bring stuff. But if all of this shut down, and they, a long time ago, they stopped farmers from farming so that, you know, they could sum it up and there would be no products, you know, vegetables, fruit, whatever, cows, chicken, whatever. They stopped it. Then how are you going to eat? How are you going to survive? what's going to happen because we keep right on rolling like you know everything gonna be the same but again god warns his people i i don't i don't look at the news but i always get the news somebody always tell me about it and early enough that if i need to do something about what's coming according to the news i have time to do something about it god warns warning come before destruction again this morning and when I tell you, we can think we still can keep just walking in our flesh and uh, what concerns me, that which I can see, touch, and feel is going to come down to what we call the endings. And let's see what your flesh gets you. Nothing. When I tell you, you're going to need a risen Savior. When I tell you you're going to need an almighty God that have all the power on your side, you're going to need that. And I don't want to run to God when I'm in dire straits. I don't want to be a user. But I had the opportunity to really show you my love for you. But I had the opportunity to walk in your spirit daily and practice so this becomes a part of me and I become a part of it. 
this is when I want to do it. I don't want to do it when there's no more. And I'm scrambling, and I don't know when my next meal go come from. I got enough food the last two weeks, but after that, what's going to happen? Now, I don't want to get there. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt already. I am walking in the spirit of God. I don't have it to worry about. I don't, hey, hey, look, if the electric go out, all of that, what am I going to do? Depend on God. If my pantry get empty, what am I going to do? Depend on God. He always have a ram in the bush. He always know where something is at that I need. And he promised to supply my need. I'm his. He's mine. But I don't want to wait till the time of panic comes. Then I want to get right with God. Because I don't have a choice now. I want to do it before the end. And then some, they're still not going to get it together. Because they still are going to be paying more attention to their flesh than they are the spirit of God. Proverbs 22 and 3. Thank you, Brother Lewis. A prudent man foresees the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Yeah. He say recommend extra beans and rice. You'll want to feed your neighbors. That See that too. Uh-huh. I was looking at that, Brother Lewis, because it, it is a stable that lasts a long time. Rice and beans. Even peas, dried peas, because you may run out of everything. You, 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 your freezer might get empty. There's no more chicken wings. There's no more the little, what they call them, the little steak they make in the little burgers. It's no more all of that quick, fast, quick, and in a hurry stuff. Now you got to boil up some beans. You may not have smoked meat to put in your beans because you're used to it. I recommend you buy some liquid smoke. If you can't eat beans and rice without the smoking taste, you get your little liquid smoke. I, that's fine. It'll last you. Pasta. Pasta lasts a long time. If you go to Lowe's, you go to Home Depot, they have these five-gallon buckets. And you can store your stuff. And it'll last a while. Some things will last up to two years. Some things are longer. Louis, I got my, I got my great budget, yeah. Because like you say, you're going to have to feed your neighbors. I know when the foolishness start happening, the crazy family I have will start looking for me. Let's see what she got over there. I bet she got, yeah, you're right, I'm going to have something. If it's no more than rice and some oil. <laughs> I'm going to have something. Yeah, because I've been putting away for a rainy day, and I've been praying and seeking God. Yeah. Now, look, some people going to leave their home because they're going to have to. All that house on the hill with the dog named Fluffy you done invested in and spent all that money on, you're going to have to leave there and go live in a hut with two palm trees where you can get your meal of the day. Because staying in that house empty with nothing for days and days, uh, you're going to die in it. And then it would decide to just die in the house on the hill with the dog named Fluffy, but not Barbie. I, I would have to go where I know I'm safe and I could get what I need. That's all. That's all that is. 
but I think I'm going to be blessed. I had a vision, too. I was right here, and I seen pallets, we call them pallets, on the floor where they put down blankets. And even in the kitchen area where the uh, kitchen table sat at, I seen pallets, like three, close up to the wall. That means three people were sleeping there. In the living room where the fireplace, in front of the fireplace, there was like two pallets and over against the counter to the kitchen sink, there was two pallets there. The couches had people on the couches. And I'm looking like, what? Not in here. That's what I'm thinking. But I'm seeing it. Furniture had been moved out of here. To make way for sleeping rooms. And then it come to me, if this many people is here with you, you're not alone. I'm going to tell you something else I saw to my glass door, my glass front door. Thick plywood. I, I, I guess you call it plywood. It was really thick. And it was nailed up. Windows. I'm like, what in the... Is this? Because there would be times come if we keep living that we're going to have to be protected. We won't be able to just go out like you go now and just do things like you do now. Things will shut down. There will be no need for the Walmart workers. I'm sorry. I, I feel bad for them. I pray for them because I know they, 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 they work like dogs. The UPS workers, I saw it where they were passing out. Many of them was vomiting because of the heat. And they running and ripping to deliver packages to us. The postmen, the postwomen, well, I should say postal people. They, they, I know they have some difficulties too. Every day you out in this heat like that, all you got is some water, maybe Gatorade. I see many of us, we don't care. We don't even consider them because we just done order from Amazon, pennies, wherever we order from, and just bring me my stuff. I, I, I bet you took their job. I don't have nothing to do with that. Yeah. But we got to pray for them and not be a selfish people. When I'm, I, I'm not busy and I can't take water to the poster lady. You know, sometimes she'll take it and sometimes it's, oh, I got plenty today. I got plenty or whatever. Christmas come, I, I want to leave her something in the mailbox. Yeah. The same UPS guy come, hey, Christmas, run through here. When You you may not bring me something, but if you're bringing somebody else something over here, stop through here. I'll, I'll just leave it on the porch right here under the doorbell. Because, see, we don't think about people. We're we too busy going through ourselves and going through what we're going through and uh, my children and my house and my job. And, and we, we're constantly trying to get more and more money. But during these times, money won't do you no good. I, I, I don't believe it will because you, 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 what you're buying, where is it? The trucks didn't bring nothing for you. The, 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 the train didn't. Wasn't running to bring nothing, and you may run out of fuel. I don't know. 
So you won't need a car. I won't have to <laughs> worry about losing weight. Yeah, it's an automatic thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I'm laughing, but it's really not funny. That's just me. But if ever there was a time to gird up the loins of our hearts and minds in God, now is that time. It's time to pray. And not praying for what you want in your flesh, what feels good to your flesh. Start praying for spiritual things that you need God to deliver spiritually. He'll answer you so quick on spiritual things. Why is that, Barbara? He's a spirit. And when we pray for spiritual things, God will move. The world is keep moving because many of us pray for spiritual things. We need the church to remain. We need the sun to shine every day. We need the water to be held back from the land. I know you don't understand. Many don't. We still need the moon to come out at night. He said he would do it, but if he if, if, if he closed it all off, and he could close it off in a way where he won't be lying, but it's closed off, what would we do? We didn't make ourselves, and we take too much for granted, and we think things going to remain the same, and it's just going to keep going the same way it's been. No, I'm like Sam Cooke this morning. For I know change going to come. Oh, yes, it is now. Yeah, change is coming. It already has come. And it keeps coming. You you can barely keep up with the internet. One day it's this, the next day it's that. Uh, uh, the next day after that is something else. As soon as you get this under your belt, they, they come up with a new thing. And every time you turn around, they got a new product. Okay, we had computers. Then they brought phones. Then they brought laptops. They done brought tablets. What's next? I, I mean, it, 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 man, this never gets enough. And he's headed into a future where he thinks is very bright because of gadgets and gadgets and this and that. But God got a perfect plan. And when I tell you his will is going to be done and what he said is going to be done. I don't like to scare people. I don't. I don't. I, but I got to tell you something to try to help you. If you could stock up on beans and rice and pastas and what a canned meats and canned milks or whatever you can do, go ahead and start. You don't do but two cans a week. Do something. Change is gonna come. Oh yes, it is now. And what I tell you is coming a lot faster than we think. lot faster than we think. Because see, people too busy getting their hair done, their nails done, their toes done. Oh, I can't go nowhere unless my hair. Let me tell y'all hair lovers something, uh, uh, hair store lovers. When this thing comes and the truck can no longer bring hair to the Asian stores, hair stores, what will you do? Some people say, I'm going to save mine. I'm going to save my hair. When they take my hair out, I'm going to keep it. That's crazy. <laughs> Some people don't wear the, 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 the weave and all of that so long, they don't mess their own natural staffing thing up. My goodness. And I've seen people trying to fix it 
back and get their scalp back right so that their natural hair will come out of the scalp again. Some people, some women have big holes, big old patches, and because they wore the weed too long. They wore the weed sold in too long. Yeah. And guess what? The Asian nail shops will be closed. Because I believe you're going back. You're going back to the original of things. I believe that. One day you're going back. I, I know they prepare for the new wave, new age move and the space age and all of this. But God have a purpose and a plan is what I'm going to tell you. And we can't prepare for food. If you can store water, you know, I would store water, rotate your stuff. Yeah. And get prepared. Prayer is in order. Faith is in order. Trust in God is in order. Allowing your flesh to die is in order so the spirit of God can live. All of that is in order. It's the season for that. You want to be trendy. You want to be popular. You want to be hip, Christian. You want to know what time it is. Those are the things that should be. you should be trending in. Those are the popular things that you should be looking at and working on daily. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Our lives should be different from the world. When I walk out the door, you should know me from anybody else. Another Christian should be able to recognize me, more so the world. And I've seen that a lot. I've been in worldly places, and they say, God bless you. I look. Yeah, there's a difference. There's a difference about us. We're not the same. I don't wear what Beyonce is wearing. 65. If I was 45, I wouldn't. If I was 35, said, Barbara. If I was 25, if I was 15, I wouldn't be wearing it. For great is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. But we get it twisted many times. <laughs> but we got to untwist now that hour was truly upon us. And if you're not seeking God more than you're seeking what your flesh pleasure, I don't know what to tell you now. And guess what? You may call me and not get an answer, ever. Because God has spoken. The church should say amen and seek God. Yeah. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, the studio is open this morning. If you have something uh, you would like to say, please feel free to press that number one. And come in. Hallelujah. How many times must I prove how much I love you?
inspiring and encouraging you all day long. Jesus in the Morning Radio with Barbara. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Look at Brother Louie over there talking about uh, a little drop of that hot sauce helped the beans. <laughs> you said it for beans and rice <laughs> right now. Yes, sir. I am with you on the groceries, Brother Louie, when you right. Yeah, he said, add your little hot sauce, little, little drop of Louisiana hot sauce, you know, with the yellow label on it, the, the red hot sauce. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But I thank God this morning. He's on our side, and he's looking out for us. But he wants us to honor his word and to know for ourselves what it takes, what it is, you know, what he said, what he will do, what he won't do, uh, and, and, and come out of our flesh like that. Because when, when I tell you, it's, it's not going to do us any good to, to just walk in, in you. Because you can't do nothing for you. You can't wake you up in the morning. You can't move your hands unless God allows it. You're living right now, not because you keep you alive, but God gives you the, 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 the use and activity, and, and you have your being, your living, your breathing because of him. Not because you ate a balanced meal, uh, not because you eat healthy. Healthy people die. Anybody ever knew a health guru that's dead and gone? I, I saw a lady one time, she was in her 80s, she said. Looked like she was in her 20s. And her husband, he looked at every bit of his age, but she didn't. She said it was because of her natural eating and her this and her bad and the other. But I bet today she's dead because that's been years ago. So we want to get in God again this morning and let God get in us and, and, and train ourselves to follow his lead. Work on our patience. Train ourselves through the spirit of God and his help to have patience. Come out of this microbial stuff. Everything got to be now, 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 now. Because if you have to go out in the bush and live, what's going to happen? And many people going to have to go out and live in the bush because people come and take your house. Tell you to get out. Yeah, and you got to have somewhere to go because it's dangerous in the streets. And the enemy just snatching children, just snatching children, snatching women, in some cases snatching men. And it's like they're snatching them down in a hole. Parents are not protecting their children, not watching their children, and that enemy just taking them, taking them, taking them. Many coming home from school telling their parents all kind of stuff. I'm this, I'm that. And if the parent don't support them, they say they're the worst parents in the world. But me and my house, just like uh, 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 Colin said, uh, uh, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So if you're not what God made you, I, I, I hate to hate it for you, but you're going to have to find out where you can go with that because it won't be in my house. I'm going to buy you what I always bought, and you're going to wear what I buy. And if you don't wear what I buy, and I find out, because see, nowadays, you can send them to school dressed the way you want them, and they can tell the counselor and this one, I feel this way. Well, here, come on to the closet, and I want to dress that way. Come on to the closet. We, you can dress like you want. 
And before you go back home, you put back on the clothes that your parents bought you. You can go and do things and talk to counselors and different folks behind the parents' backs today. It's as if these are not your children, and I don't think they are. I think when you have children, the government feel like they're mine. I'm going to train them. I'm going to control them. And they put mandates on the parents. You can't spank them. And if you talk too harsh to them, they feel what's harsh, you might go to jail for that. But see, enough parents don't stand up. Because if enough truth walkers, enough Christians, really, that's following Jesus, they didn't come out to be nosy, to see what he's doing. They didn't come out uh, to eat. But we truly love the Lord. If enough of us stand up, they don't have enough jails to put all of us. For parents weak. I've never seen these kind of parents before. I've never seen these kind of children before. I've never seen these kind of people thinking to ride a bicycle child need a helmet. When I grew up, we didn't have no helmets. You get on that bike and you ride. We weren't in the house playing no video games. You was outside finding plenty of fresh air and sunshine and, and things to do. And if your parents work and you was with grandmama, she watched you. Every move you made, they knew about it. The neighborhood knew. Because everybody was watching out for you. You didn't even know people was watching you. And they were watching you. Before that street light come on, you, you, you knew where you had to be. You already know you had to be in the house. And some of us, when we went over to look, uh, Alice's house, we couldn't go in her house, but we could play in the yard. Some children, I couldn't go in their yard, period. I had to play with them through the fence. My parents knew stuff I didn't know. Because back during these days, adults didn't talk around children. Adults, my, my parents, I, I wasn't their friend. I was their daughter. They were my mom and dad, and I had to act accordingly. I had to walk across. I had plenty of my own ideas. I had plenty of thoughts and plenty of things to say, but I had to say it to a friend. I couldn't, I couldn't say it to my parents. See, I had stuff I wanted to say about them, and I couldn't tell them to their face. Respect. And because of respect and fear, it kept me. Say for many bad things I would have contributed to. I would have been a part of. But the day they got children and the children, they friends, and all they consider themselves to do is to make the children happy. And in the home, the children come before anybody. The children come before the dad who's going making a living so that the child can He get his dinner last. They say feed the kids first. Well, I come from now. You, you you take care of my dad. Now he was the one who said, "Well, y'all come on now. Uh, uh, go ahead and and and, and y'all get." Because we all sat to the table at the same time, and we all had assigned pieces of chicken that we liked. I I, I didn't particularly care for the short side of leg or the breast. <laughs> Give me that wing. So that's how she did it. I had two wings. 
My brother two short thighs, my sister two legs. My dad had the breast. My mama on purpose, like the whole back of the chicken. I said wasn't no meat on. I said, Mama, what? What? No, no, no. I know y'all think uh, I'm doing it because it's not enough. She said, No, it's plenty. I got more chicken in there if I wanted chicken. She said, What I like is this right here. You see me eat, and I would come home from school. Listen. This lady would have chicken back stewing in a pot. I'm looking at her. I'm like, did she? They sell them nothing but the bags. And I went and bought me some bags. And I said, Mama, what you gonna do with that? She said, um, After stew on down, I'm gonna put it over a little rice. Sometimes she would have a baked potato, and she had already fried the chicken bags. Listen to me. It's two parts to that back. She would cut it in half, like the rib cage and the lower part. She would batter that up and deep fry and have a baked potato. And whatever she wanted loaded in her potato, that's what she would have. And then she would have green beans over here. Uh, uh, she may make have potato salad from Sunday dinner. I thought it was weird. But see, they come from a place where they made whatever they had to work. And I, when the man was talking about the trucks don't stop in two weeks and this and that, and I started thinking back, I said, oh, I don't have no problems. I don't have any problems eating. I can take flour, water, and shorten and make bread. I, I'm serious. I, I don't have no problems. But now if I don't have the flour, if I don't have the shortening, that's a horse of a different color. But if I prep correctly, I will be all right. And the people I choose to help will be all right. But we have to prep. We have to put it together. Hallelujah. Listen, I have um, a request this morning for prayer, intercessors. And I want, I want to share this one with you Um uh, it's a pastor. He said he's a pastor and he's from India. And uh, he said he, he's got a real poor church. And uh, he said he needs help with this. Uh, the church building, the poor, and often children, and the widows. So look, now he he, he, he hitting it. He on it now. Because them children and that widower, the sick and the elderly, I'm down for the cause. We'll find that in the scripture. So I want to ask you to pray for him. He over at Good Shepherd Gospel Ministry and Church. And uh, so we just want to pray for him that the Lord would supply the need there according to his riches and glory by Son Christ Jesus. And I really can't pronounce the, the, the last name, so I'm going to call him U.Y., Pastor U.Y. And uh, we're going to pray for him that God would open doors for his ministry and his church. And uh, he said he's a pastor and an evangelist. So we're going to pray that God will move for them and the widows there and the children and, you know, whatever they need. Oh, I know it's close to 9 o'clock. Y'all know. So... We're going to pray 
that the Lord moved for him and um, meet the need in his life, meet the need in the church life, meet the need in all these people that he's requesting God to bless. Yeah. And see, sometimes they they think because we are in America, we're rich. Every church and every ministry in America is rich. That's not true. But I, I shared some things with him, and I know this. If God did it, if he gave you that ministry, it won't go under. If you're obeying and doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, if you're doing what you're supposed to do in ministry, God will keep it going. He'll take care of his house. I, I don't care if nobody ever paid tithes, offering, give you a gift or nothing. God will supply. Every month for 12 years, God has supplied here. Even blessed that I was able, and I'm not a church. But he has blessed that I've even been able to help families, help individuals, all kind of different types of help. That's God. It doesn't take a lot with him. It just takes us to trust him, have faith, and walk according to him and obey him. I have wanted to do some big, big things. And the Lord didn't allow it. But what I did was effective. I thank God for that. Hallelujah. Yes, sir, Brother Lord, they came through the Great Depression. Yeah, they come through when there was no work and money wasn't no good. Because even if you got a few dollars, what was you buying? What nothing you buy? Yeah, that type thing. Or you, you know, you just did what you had to do to survive. Yeah. And I, I want to grow me some food to eat. I want to grow me something. But even in that, you got to be careful unless you got private property. Because if you got a, a nice spread of vegetables, you know, and they robbing and stealing, then they're going to take what people got because they, they didn't prepare. They didn't prepare for nothing, you know. So now they want to rob everybody else who, who prepared. But again, this morning, God is faithful. And uh, we thank him for his faithfulness towards us. Yeah, because man is a pitiful creature. Woo! We are pitiful creatures. Yes, we are. To do a loving, kind, merciful, gracious God like we do him. Yeah, we're, we're pitiful. But yet, he looked beyond fault and yet we need. Yet, he opened the door that he will forgive if we ask for forgiveness. He's yet on our side in spite of ourselves. I love it because he says this, cast your cares upon me for I care it for you. <laughs> ah, only an almighty loving God could do this. Look what he said in his word. If I be for you, I'm more than the whole world against you. Listen to all of that. Yet we, we refuse to give him everything that we can. We don't want to give him our all. We want to give him kibbles and bits, bits and pieces. Yeah. But we need to love him with our whole heart. Listen, let's pray for this pastor. 
you wise what I'm going to call him and uh, pray for his church and ministry and the widow was there and the orphanage and um, what he needs. Yeah. And see how he said he's poor. He said he was poor. He's a poor church. Look, now, I, I don't really operate with money, but when it comes to the things of God, I'm not poor. Freedom Doors is not poor, neither is Jesus in the morning. Big, beautiful Christian women group, and you, and I, that that's not poor, because that's God. He can pour out any time he get ready. And there's a purpose and a plan for him not pouring it all out, you know. Not that he's not going to do it, because, see, we still got $500 million coming. We still got farms and things to do. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm still believing God for it. Yeah, and waiting patiently, because it's in his perfect timing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for all that has been said and done. Thank you for every testimony unto you. Father, we thank you for the message. The wolf is at the door. Warning comes before destruction, Father. And we want to be yours. We want to sell out to you with our whole heart unto you. We don't want to think that we wise and we know something and we got it. Lord, we need you. We need you. And we need your wisdom and we need your discernment. Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we bring Pastor you why before you and the church there in India. We bring the widowers and the orphanage children. And God, we bring the poor and we bring the church building that he mentioned, God. And Lord, you know what the man needs. You know what the people there need. And Father, we are asking this morning that you would supply the need there according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. Father, the earth is yours, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And there's nothing too hard for you. Father, you know the very intent of the pastor's heart, of the people's heart. Move according to your spirit this morning. For it's by your spirit, Father, you said you would go. And we're still dependent on you to go by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Father, as we depart this morning, I ask that, Father, you would bless our going out, bless our coming in, and meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. Father, I ask this morning that you would look upon your people and that you would remind them warning come before destruction. Father, look upon your people this morning and yet have desires. And, Father, even in this hour, you yet give desires as we would delight ourselves in you. Father, when our ways please you, there's nothing you won't withhold. You will release to us more than, hallelujah. Do it for your people today. Open up wisdom, open up discernment, open up knowledge, open up understanding in your people. But God, even when they think back on scriptures that they already read, scriptures that they already know, God, it would bring even a more clarity from you, that they can apply it to, what well, we can apply it, Father, to our everyday life. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. We give you glory. We pray for the sick here this morning. Lord, anybody sick, anybody under the weather, anybody having pains and aches, oh God, we ask that you would touch and heal this morning. In the name of Jesus, 
or you took a beating for the healing of the nation. And Father, you heal all manner of sickness, all manner of aches and joints and disease. And do it this morning for us, oh God, in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. And Father, we ask today that you would bless Brother Anthony, wherever he may be, may be working today. God, move for him in a mighty way this day. In the name of Jesus, we ask it all. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent, one from another, in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you this day. August the 23rd, 2022, in Jesus' name. So look, at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye, but we're going to our last song of the morning. And after this song, I won't be coming back because I, I have to get out of here today uh, probably around 1230. So I got to get cracking, get some stuff done. So God bless you again and have a wonderful day. I've run out of answers, I've run out of time And I'm so confused that I'm losing my mind It's gonna take a miracle to help me this time I'm traveling a road that has not one time One tree can't understand why I'm sinking so 